From KLIN Radio and the Lincoln Independent Business Association, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Bale. Glad to have you joining us. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by Currency. Learn more at GoCurrency.com. We've got uh, several projects uh, coming up here in the Lincoln area. One is called Lincoln Bold, and it's uh, got some people in the Haymarket a little concerned and some possible ways to uh, deal with that. Yeah, so this is the new new high-rise, I'll call it, that's going to go on up about 9th and P Street. Right where the, the old, service station is. Yeah, Malacars, I think, is the name of that service station there. Um, and there, there's been a lot of conversations back and forth between the developer and the Lincoln, uh, the businesses down in the Haymarket area, uh, with concerns about how is this going to work. And it's a three-year construction project. We're looking at street closures, some parking closures, maybe some access issues uh, that have been brought up. And so there's been a lot of discussions back and forth. Um, regarding the issue between um, business owners to try to see what they can do to figure it out. And the latest this week, I read uh, an article that said that they're going to talk about putting in valet parking for people coming down to the Haymarket uh, to try to address that parking concern. Would this be valet parking for this development or for other parts, other businesses in the Haymarket? Well, it sounds to me like they're going to put up a little shed down down there about uh, 8th and P area. And I, the way I read it is they're going to allow people can drop off their car and get valet parking while they go shop down in that area or go to a restaurant or what have you to get parking. Uh, so there's parking because there's, you know, this big concern about parking. So <clears throat> I don't know. That's that's something we've never seen in Lincoln where you can just pull up to a stand and have someone go park your car for you. So yeah, moving, up, moving on up, moving on up. I've seen that in some big cities that I've traveled to uh, over the years. I've never used it just primarily because when you're a Nebraska kid, you're the big city on a coast. You don't necessarily trust everybody. <laughs> we lived in Kansas City for a number of years. and There were a number of good restaurants, especially in the downtown area, the Power and Light District, and even on the Plaza area. Where that was, you really had to use valet parking because it was just impossible uh, to be anywhere near. And I've used in larger cities many times and never had a problem, so. Yeah, so it'll be, uh, we'll have to see where this goes, um, how that proposal comes forward and what it looks like, and um, just see what it, what happens there. So it's something that's going to potentially be affecting the hay market with this project. I know there's still some eyes uh, to be dotted and T's to be crossed on the project before the construction starts, and just something for people to be aware of and, and kind of pay attention to that's happening here in the capital city. And, of course, uh, some time ago we had... Uh the uh, owners uh, represented from the mill were here on Lincoln Business Beat, and they're one of the tenants down in that area. They're on the uh, corner just to the west there, and they also expressed some concern in the article that you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of different concerns just from uh, different business owners, and, you know, um, sometimes we have growth pains, right? And that's one of the things that they're trying to work out down in that area. So um, we'll have to see how they figure things out and how those businesses can still 
have have their customers gain access and you know parking in the haymarket is one of those things right now that we hear a lot about anyway and so you start taking out some some parking it it does raise concerns both for business owners and will people come to downtown so it's an innovative idea we'll see uh, where it goes another item that the city is dealing with and, and this was an ordinance that I guess I'd heard about it but never realized, but there's actually a city ordinance that prohibits three unrelated people from living together in one residence. And that's caused some issues for zoning um, from some what they're calling sober houses. And so that's under discussion again. Yeah, there have been some. Uh, and there was one that happened last year. I don't remember the timing exactly, Mark. Um, but this came up last year, and I think the city granted uh, an exemption for a group to have and, and it's called a sober living house. So it's people that are uh, in recovery and trying to get back in, uh, reintegrate back into society, et cetera. And it's, it's been something that is, I'll say, self-policed um, when they have multiple unrelated people living in the same uh, building. And so and it's in the middle of residential neighborhoods. And so those are some of the concerns that have come up. And so the city's, you know, having conversations. We had one that got passed last year. Um, now they're looking at some other ones. So we we'll have to see kind of where this goes. It's it's something I know the council's kind of wrestled with in our discussions with council members. And it's it's the zoning issues in the residential areas that, as I understand it, is the is the issue here. Uh, and that's uh, three unrelated people in one residence. Yeah, so like an apartment building, obviously, you know, there's some special zoning there. And so this would be, I mean, maybe it's a two-story, four-bedroom house or something like that where they may have 12 or 14 people living in there that aren't related. And so that's where the issue comes from. So the council will be working through this and um, <clears throat> trying to figure out what do we need to do with zoning laws or how are they going to address this issue kind of moving forward? Before the legislature, um, got a look at something we've t- talked about on Lincoln Business Beat before, and that's a minimum wage and uh, the, the student wage, the transitional wage. But now we're also talking about in the legislature the CPI adjustment. Yeah. Where, and, where are we on that? And so um, there's a lot of, you know, when, once an initiative passes and the the people pass it, then, you know, the sausage goes to the legislature for processing. And so, um, there, there, you know, we talked to earlier on Lincoln Business Beat about the minimum wage and kind of how it goes up $1.50 a year up uh, for four or five years, and then it, uh, it gets set by the legislature thereafter. Um, Senator Raybould from here in Lincoln brought this one um, that would use maybe CPI as a calculator. Um I think it's it's more data driven by taking this kind of an approach, and so uh, Leba testified on this earlier this week. We support that bill. Um, Katie Bullmeyer, our policy research coordinator, get, did a good job uh, talking about it and uh, uh, representing Leba on that. And so I think what what the the Consumer Price Index CPI does is you know it, it kind of helps manage the inflation of things and and how it's going to work like with a, a minimum wage. So actually, you know, the CPI is something that uh, Liba's referred to on a, a regular basis over time um, when it comes to property tax asking. And so one of our formulas that we've always shared and, and believed in is um, 
the pro- for the property tax asking, not the levy, but these political subdivisions, on the property tax asking, we actually have shared a growth plus CPI uh, model, which kind of tries to help some of the political subdivisions in our mind manage their budgets. And I think a CPI adjustment on the minimum wage, if we're going to have to implement that, does make a little bit of sense. It certainly is more data-driven. I would like to see what might the reaction be if the CPI were to ever go down. That would be fascinating, wouldn't it? And I don't I don't know that that came up in the discussion in the hearing, but I'm sure... I'm not sure it's gone down. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but, you know, if it's 0.5%, then a $15 minimum wage would go up 0.5%. If it's 1.5%, then it would go up 1.5%. So... Um, it is data driven, and it's something that that we're going to support and con- continue to monitor. Because obviously, a a, a government enforced minimum wage has an impact on business owners. So we'll have to see where that goes. And this puts a, a little more of the, I would say, natural costs into this consideration as opposed to uh, a, a cost that's just brought out of thin air. Yeah. It, you know, again, data-driven, like you said, Mark, and, and that's something that I think is important that, you know, we don't just wake up and somebody in the legislature makes a proposal to raise the minimum wage by $10. You know, um, we're going we're gonna to use data, we're going to use market data, um, and, and use that to try to figure out where the minimum wage goes. In just a moment, uh, we'll be going into our deep dive and we'll be talking with Lancaster County Commissioner uh, Matt Schulte about uh, his recent position on ending the COVID-19 emergency. But before we do that, and before we get out of this section, uh, leave a lunch coming up uh, next week, and then there's an open house uh, a couple of times for people to find out about Water 2.0. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Water 2.0, the secondary water source. And um, we're going to have uh, folks from LTU come and talk about the process. Uh, their rec- their rec- The recommendation from the group that was formed was to uh, build a water treatment facility and pipe water in all the way from the Missouri River. And so there's a lot that goes into that. So we'll have a presentation on that on Tuesday the 21st at the Leba Luncheon at the Grand Manse from 1130 to 1. Um, And then uh, on March 7th, I believe, they're having a community open house at Southwest High School for people to come in. And I, you know... This is one that people need to... uh need to be aware of because we're talking over a billion dollars and what uh, almost two decades that it will take to get this done well it right now the estimate on the project is 1.3 billion dollars and you think over 20 years i think 1.3 billion is going to push probably two billion dollars as we look at absolutely uh inflation and just you know costs going up and all those things so it's a it's a major investment in our future and it's worthy of a good community conversation and you know our motto here mark decisions are made by those who show up we need to be informed and show up and if you can't show up for the leba luncheon but want to hear donna garden from ltu uh the uh, luncheon portion the the speech uh, the presentation will be streamed on the leba facebook page next tuesday correct first just look for Leba Lincoln on Facebook. We'll live stream it, and it'll be an opportunity for people to watch it. And those live videos do go uploaded on our website so, or on our Facebook page, so you can watch it uh, again later. It's a great way to do it. And in just a moment, we'll welcome in Matt Schulte, newest member of the Lancaster County Commission, to talk about uh, a recent editorial that he published 
and uh, he brought it forth before a recent uh, county commission meeting. Do you need help finding reliable financing options for heavy machinery, trucks, or other equipment for your business? Currency is here to help. Currency specializes in finding the most competitive financing options for construction equipment, farm machinery, trucks, trailers, and other big-ticket items. And whether you're replacing old machines or expanding your fleet, Currency makes it easy to get financing. It's secure, free to use, and gives you a single point of contact for the entire process. Just visit GoCurrency.com and fill out an application. Currency will automatically find a lender offering the best rates and terms. Currency is equipment financing made simple. Visit GoCurrency.com and apply today. Offers may vary and arranged by Express Tech Financing, LLC, doing business as currency, pursuant to CFL License 60DBO-54873. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On this edition of Lincoln Business Beat, our deep dive segment, we're bringing in Lancaster County Commissioner Matt Schulte to join us. And welcome into Lincoln Business Beat, Matt. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here today. You uh, recently brought up at a county commission meeting and then penned an editorial on uh, the Lincoln and Lancaster County COVID uh, emergency declaration. Yeah. Is that, is that what you want to discuss, Mr. Seinhold? Oh, yeah. It's, I, I just thought, you know, there's been a lot of conversation. Um, we meet with our elected officials on a regular basis, and we've you know, kind of been having this conversation. At, at what point do we end the emergency declaration? And and I know it's been talked about at all levels of government. In fact, the president mentioned it in his State of the Union that it was going to end in May uh, from a federal government standpoint. And then right on cue, uh, newly elected County Commissioner Matt Schulte uh, talked about it at the county board and and then uh, there was an op-ed piece in the Journal Star earlier this week. So, Matt, um, why don't you just kind of talk to us about what led you to this and, and your thoughts on that? Sure, yeah. You know, I, as I've been uh, visiting county board meetings throughout the campaign and over this last month of serving just every week on the agenda is a COVID-19 update. And interestingly enough, I mean, it's on the agenda, but interestingly enough, the county health department director has only showed up twice in the last seven months even give an update and so i i took that as, to, as an indication that hey if it's not even worth an update why do we even have this thing going on um and as i dove into it a little deeper and took a look at what's going on i've just come to the realization that it, it's time for us to face the reality that the pandemic has long been over for nearly two years now um we have been under this that actually 
The state canceled its emergency declaration almost 20 months ago. In July of 2021, the state canceled it. And so I just look at it and say, hey, let's let's face the reality. We are no longer in a state of emergency on COVID. So let's go ahead and, and it, let that it, let that declaration expire. Okay. Well, and, uh, you know, I think one of the things that people have started to talk about and, and I'll say come to the reality of is COVID's not going away. People are probably going to come down with COVID for the rest of our lives, right? Absolutely. And yep. so it's something that we live with on a daily basis. And, you know, uh, it seems like people are getting back to what I would call the normal activities they participated in mostly before COVID. So um, ha have you gotten any kind of indication on why we continue to stay in this emergency? What, what have you heard about that, Matt? Sure. So uh, first I want to comment on the one of the first things you said about people have gone back to their normal work. You know, I, I think probably the prime indicator for that for of that to me is that people are no longer getting sick enough that they need to go to their doctor and they need to um, be constantly testing. And the way we see that is that the county health, the county city health department actually started measuring wastewater to indicate how many people are sick with this. The people aren't even sick enough that they're going to their doctor as much. So then we need to measure wastewater to see how much sickness there is in our community. Um, so I think that's an indicator to me. As far as the timeline goes, I brought this up at our county staff meeting last week. I think it's, I, I made it clear, I think it's time for us to end it. Um, at this point, there's a lot of opposition to that. There's a lot of um, the majority of the other board members, actually maybe even all of them, uh, made it very clear that they want to wait. Um, at this point, the county health department director, um, she said she feels like we need to wait. Um, so at this point, I've not been given any timeline by any member, any of them, as to when they'd like to see it end. I think it would be... Um, Matt, what's the reason they're giving for not wanting to end it? Are you getting any kind of... like? Like, like, what? Why does Pat Lopez think we need to not end this declaration? Because there's cases still happening. I mean, that's the only result I've been given is that there, 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 people are still getting sick. So why should we end it? Is kind of the argument. So we'll never so, end it if that's the mentality. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, and like I said, COVID's just—it's a, a reality of life now. It's—it's it's what yeah. it is. Um, you know, we don't report flu cases every Tuesday. We don't report cases of colds every Tuesday. We don't report heart attacks every Tuesday from the health department. So I, I think it's, I appreciate you bringing up this conversation because it's something that, you know, we've talked about, like I said, with elected officials and like, okay, at what point are we going to move on? And, yep. and, and so I, I appreciate you bringing that forward. Well, and I do. I do also want to point out. You've mentioned elected officials. It's, this is not just a county board thing, right? The city has a declaration, and the county board has a declaration. And so, uh, really, to end this thing, the city and the county have got to both be on board with with a recommendation to end it, um, with a, I guess, a actual action to end it. So we need, you know, we got a lot of elected officials to get on board with ending this, and it it's clearly time. So, Matt, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. We haven't Let's discussed this, but I won't say it's a curveball in the dirt, but are there other counties in Nebraska that are still under a declaration? I mean, like, is Douglas County, is Sarpy County? I kind of think of those as our peer counties here in the state. 
are they still under an emergency declaration? So I reached out to county commissioners in both of those counties trying to get some clarity. I sent them emails last week. None of them responded. But I did, when I was on their website, the Douglas County website has COVID very front and center. So my assumption is that Douglas County is still under a mandate. On the Sarpy County website, it was very, I, I couldn't see anything right away. So that made me think that Sarpy County is no longer in one. Okay. And now I do you... not, that's just based on. Well, and we're kind of in a in an interesting spot here because in Lincoln, it's the Lincoln-Lancaster County Health Department, Yep. which means, you, as you mentioned, the city council and the county board would both have to make this decision. And have you talked to any members of the city council? Are they, like, where, where are their heads at, I guess, would be my question. I'm guessing, I'm, I'm going to assume you haven't spoken to the mayor about this. I'm pretty sure she wouldn't return your calls, but um, have you talked to any of those folks about it? I have talked to two other city council members and they both share the, um, share the idea that the, that the, that this should end, that it doesn't need to go on till May. At this point, they weren't, they weren't giving me an exact timeline either, but two of them said, yes, this should end and it should end before the federal one, but they didn't have an exact timeline that they wanted to see it happen. So, um, there, there is some interest on the city council as well to end the COVID mandate. You know, one other objection, which you, I forgot about this. You asked me why, why is it not ending? Number one was the cases and the hospitalizations. Number two is that there's fear that we might lose some money. So I've stepped back and I've done some, asked a bunch of questions and I can tell you definitively that the county has no money coming in that is dependent on us being in a COVID emergency declaration. Excellent. It, that's that's, that's good information, appear, Matt. I appreciate yeah. that. It does not appear that the city has money coming in either, although I'm, you know, I don't work with directly with the, the city budget department, but the city does get free tests and free vaccines. That's not cash coming into the budget, but there are some resources. Their fear is that those might end, although I don't think those will end. There's no, doesn't look to me like any of the write-up on those that it's required that we be in a declaration. You know, I assume Grand Island is still getting free tests and free mm-hmm. vaccines, and they are no longer an emergency declaration yeah. out there. What What about costs of uh, the declaration? Is, is there any cost to the city and county to keeping this in place? There is no direct, I mean, there is cost, yes. The cost is in time um, of staff members, of employees who are spending time collecting data, writing press releases, holding news conferences, things like that, all time that should be, in my opinion, refocused on more pertinent health issues today. Excellent. So, uh, Matt, I'll, I'll share this with you. Uh, for what it's worth, and I always say free advice is worth exactly what you paid for it. <laughs> but So I sit on the State Board of Health. Um, now, when you jump up off your chair after hearing that I'm on the State Board of Health, <laughs> um, I actually serve as a lay member with a lot of really smart people um, who are in various medical professions. And we frequently get uh, updates from the state medical director. Well, it was Dr. Antone, right? And one of the interesting points that he made at one of our recent meetings, I don't remember when it was, it was at the end of last year, he he gave us a report, and the report, he talked about hospitalizations. And he, he made a distinction that I think might be interesting to ask the county health director and see if she has those statistics. And that is, how many people are in the hospital with COVID 
versus how many people are in the hospital for COVID. For COVID, yeah. And it's a very simple concept, but I just hadn't thought of it that way. And I don't know if you've seen any of those numbers because, uh, you know, I, I, I know of people personally who have, you know, gone into the hospital for a procedure or what have you, and they get tested and they, they might be in for knee surgery and they test them and all of a sudden they've got COVID. So they're, they're in hospital with COVID, but they're not in the hospital for COVID. For like they're, COVID. Yeah. they're not being treated for the disease or the virus or whatever. Um, so again, for what it's worth, um, you know, that might be a conversation to try to have, or maybe even some good information to uh, check on. That's great. That's a good one. I will definitely look in that. You know, when I look at the number of cases that are people who are in the hospital and have COVID, to use a, the term that they currently use, it's been solid at 15 people from Lancaster County for 10 days, like zero change. So that kind of tells me that there's, you know, the same people are just there for a long time. And just to put that in perspective, so 15 people in the hospital today from Lancaster County. Yesterday, and statistically, in a single day, 23 people in Lincoln are victims of serious crime or property property crime. So to me, I look, hey, we're not in a state of emergency. Matter of fact, our city leaders are telling us, no, oh, crime is fine. We're okay. 23 people a day, but 15 people are a day and are going to the hospital because of COVID, but we need an emergency mandate for that one. It just feels to me a little out of whack. That's a that's a very interesting statistic, Matt. I appreciate you bringing that forward. I was <laughs> I was actually going to make a I, I guess I would call it it have to be an uneducated comment, but like <laughs> so, how many people are in the hospital for heart disease? How many are in the people? How many people are in the hospital because they have you know a bronchial infection or you know what have you? So yeah. um, I I appreciate that that comparison and, and appreciate your. Anecdotally, there's uh, the hospitals in Lincoln are very, very full. Census is high, uh, not because of COVID, as you mentioned, but because it's a, a regional medical center. And the uh, health department this last Tuesday released the numbers. And in the county, they're actually, you've got 15 residents that are in the hospital. Lincoln hospitals are treating 31 patients for COVID. And yeah. that, that was equal to the prior week. So there's there have been, you know, that number is... Uh, as consistent as it is of Lancaster County residents, it's that consistent of what they're taking care of in the hospital. But there's uh, close to a thousand beds, I believe, available in uh, Lancaster County, 800, 900, something like that. And uh, 31 uh, were hospitalized from wherever. Yeah. 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 That, that's really good, Matt. And again, I, I appreciate the conversation. And, and I think that's one of the things um that leba business owners mention is why are we still in an emergency we constantly have that uh conversation with our elected officials i appreciate you taking the lead on that um i know sometimes uh doing the right thing is never easy and being in a being out on an island as an elected official isn't easy but i i appreciate you bringing the conversation to the community and i hope that your peers on the county board and i hope that your I will say colleagues, so to speak, on the city council um, will have a serious conversation about this. And, and you know, I, I have a standing joke in my house that every Tuesday, I don't know why the hell we got to look at that damn dial and put it on the TV and put it on the news and all those other kind of things. It's, you know, 
People are moving on. People are living their lives. The grocery stores are full on Saturday. I have to stand in line to check out of the grocery <laughs> store. You know what? That's okay. People Pinnacle are Bank Arena still packs out for a good basketball game. Amen, brother. I mean, so um, you know, people are getting back to life and yeah. doing life things, and so. I think you're right. It just is something that hangs over it. I mean, we recently signed an agreement at Pinnacle Bank Arena for our free enterprise celebration, and there's a clause in there about COVID and city and county health directives related to COVID. And I was looked at it, and I I rolled my eyes, and I'm like, okay, I didn't, you know, this is really still a thing. So uh, appreciate what you're doing, Matt. Appreciate you coming on Lincoln Business Beat. And appreciate your support of LIBA. You're always a great member of LIBA and great supporter. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, we'll look forward to some updates on this conversation that happens with the county board and then hopefully at the city council. All right. Thank you. Matt Schulte, Lancaster County uh, Commissioner, with us here on our deep dive on Lincoln Business Beat. And again, uh, this coming LIBA luncheon, uh, Tuesday the 21st. Water 2.0, baby. We're going to talk about secondary water source and I would also uh, ask our wonderful listeners to, uh, for a little bit of grace. We launched a new website at Leva this week. Um, probably should have led with that, Mark. <laughs> uh, but we're, you know, all good construction projects have a little glitch here and there. Um, but our new Leva website is up and running. And when you go to the Leva web webpage, there's a pop up where you can check out the Lincoln Business Beat podcast. So uh, check out our events. We're getting our calendar updated. Check out our LIBA members. Um, it's a great new website. And Mark, every week when I'm here, tells me we got to keep promoting this, and we are promoting it. So it is a pop-up on our new webpage to go to the Lincoln Business Beat. You actually have to X out of it to get to our webpage, Mark. Well, go to the beat, uh, Lincoln Business Beat. Follow us and uh, subscribe, which whatever podcast. A provider you prefer, uh, you know, and tell your friends about it too. Share. Yeah, we we try to bring good information to our listeners okay. every week, and I want to give a shout out to one listener who has listened to every episode, and every week I get a text from my good friend Debbie Brim uh, with feedback <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. So Debbie, I know you probably are listening all the way, so you just send me a text with an emoji on it when you listen to this, and I'll uh, know that you heard our shout out. As we said earlier, if valet parking comes to the Haymarket, and with the Lincoln Business Beat, and now a pop-up on the new Lincoln site, we're moving on up. Hey, things are <laughs> popping up, brother. That they are. Matt Schulte was our guest on our deep dive, and uh, of course, as we mentioned, please share this, and uh, the Lincoln Business Beat is here for you. This has been the Lincoln Business Beat from the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio, reviewing and updating business owners and community members about what's happening in the business community in and around Lincoln. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Lincoln Business Meet is made possible by Currency. Learn more at GoCurrency.com.